Welcome. Today is the 12th episode of Diana Speaks Candid Conversations with Diana, Princess of Wales. Diana is with us now, and I'd like to say good morning, Diana. Good morning to you, Rose, and hello, everybody. Uh, For today's episode, I thought I would like to concentrate on the theme of children. Right. I know that you had a great love for the little people, the little adults, as you called them. Mm-hmm. And um, it was always so evident. Um, do you recall any particular ones, I mean, besides your adorable boys, of course, that um, really stole your heart? Well, Patrick, of course, little boy who I was um, married to when I was also uh, working as the children's uh, teacher's helper, but he was the one I was particularly nanny to, um, American little boy, and uh, Patrick Robertson. Lovely. He looked like a sweet thing from the photos I've seen of him. Oh, he was wonderful, and very well behaved, I have to say. No problem at all. And, um, no, wonderful, wonderful boy. And, um, a heads up for me so that I knew how to handle my own because I did tend to uh, look on him as more than just my charge I was very very fond of him I dare say wanted to kidnap him sometimes he was so adorable <laughs> but um, Mrs. Robertson was lovely and I don't think she'd have appreciated that and I would have lost the job but um, no I enjoyed children always always had a great affinity with them and that's why, of course, there was a teacher's helper, Miss uh, Diane. And, because um, they could never say Diane, they always just said Diane. And, um, yeah, just, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Had you, while you were a teacher's helper, did you have it in your mind to maybe go on and become a teacher at some point? That is, of course, before... I didn't have the qualifications. I mean, I could have gone to college and and study for them, but I was never really that good at scholar. And um, I always worked by instinct. So it wouldn't have been feasible. I don't think I would have enjoyed that so much. Um, the point was that I liked to be a child myself. And by being a teacher's helper, uh, the teacher's there to do all the hard work, and uh, I'm just there to play with them, basically, and keep them amused. So, and amused myself doing so, which I did. So you would have been content to have just been a teacher's helper for the most of your life? Had you not? Oh no, I wanted to get married and have a family. Um, definitely, I wanted my own children. So, no, I don't think I would have stayed a teacher's helper. So you really weren't, um, let's say, career-oriented. Your goal was to become a mommy and a, and a wife. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, what would you... Now, speaking about children, I'm going to take you back a little bit to your own childhood, as a child. Mm, what were some of your favorite memories as a child? I know we've talked about the fact that there were not so pleasant memories in your childhood. There weren't at all, no. Um, it 
wasn't what I could um, call a particularly happy childhood. Um, I looked after Charles, of course, um, my younger brother. Um, my sisters were that bit older than me, so um, we never really I say associated with each other though I was closer to Sarah than Jane just by years um, and of course latterly uh, her problems which you talked about are on my site um, and I tended to hear worship her rather and was involved in helping her um, with her problem I mean I can say it anorexia uh, she won't mind that. And uh, then, of course, I had the bulimia. So we understood each other in that way. And, of course, also she was going out with Charles before me. Um, so I was close to her. But um, I can't say that I had a, a happy childhood, as everyone knows. Mommy went, and uh, that left me with a, a major insecurity. And everyone knows that um, Mummy and I had a, a very difficult relationship. There were times, of course, when we got on very well, but they were few and far between, which I'm sure was of great disappointment and much sadness to both of us, equally. Um, of course, I was very close to Daddy. Everyone knows um, very, very close. But uh, initially, anyway, we didn't like the stepmother moving in. And uh, we were very angry about that. And we felt very rejected by him, which was understandable when he'd been our sort of sole parent that was round. Um, and she sort of came in and took his attention from us. So we quite resented that. Uh, but lastly, as people know, I sort of buried the hatchet with her. Because at the end of the day, she loved Daddy. And that was never uh, disputed. Right, you did an, uh, a lovely praises on the site about her, which I thought was nice. Now, living at Althorpe, did you have other playmates um, that came around, or was it pretty much just you and Charles most of the time? Well, I was at boarding school a lot of the time. Oh, yes, yes. So, holidays, um, a girlfriend or two might come over, but um, most of the time I was at school boarding. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting concept for someone like myself, an American, because we don't, at least in my social structure that I grew up in, you know, there was no boarding schools. But that just always seemed an... Um, an interesting concept to be sent away for school. It's very uh, common in Ditto the Gentry aristocracy, very common. Usually because the parents are otherwise engaged, if they're ambassadors, they're abroad. Um, it's well known, of course, that, uh, or used to be, and still is in, in, dare I say, that class system. I don't like to use that terminology, but still is um, some of the best schools in the world actually in the 
UK, which is why ambassadors' sons are still sent to them. Like, for example, Eton, Harrow, um, where Andrew went, Dorage College. Um, these kind of schools, they cater for ambassadors' sons because, as I say, parents are away abroad and there might not be even the educational facilities for them. And also, of course, it is an all-round education and uh, a highly reputable one. But you do find that a lot at, um, with people in the gentry. I mean, William and Harry were sent away, of course, to boarding school. And um, it was good they were because they didn't witness um, a lot of the marital problems because of that. Um, they saw enough when they were on holiday, of course, but with us, but um, they, didn't, they didn't get quite the gist of it, which they might have done or would have done had they been um, at home. But of course, I missed them terribly, so I didn't want them particularly um, to be boarded. But I also understood we had to go on tours and they couldn't come with us. Who would educate them? We didn't have, weren't gonna have a tutor. The whole point was we wanted them to come up, be brought up with a, as a normal upbringing as possible. And if you've got a private tutor, bang goes normality. Exactly. So they were given a regular schooling, which, um, as can be seen, has worked out marvelously for them. And of course, particularly William. And where he got his intelligence from, I don't know. <laughs> Certainly wasn't me. Uh -uh. Well, you know, you spoke about being so close to your father, and uh, to kind of diverge a bit here from the, the subject of children, um, you know, you connected with your father in the afterlife through a medium. Um, what was that like for you, and can you relate to us, or relate to us how you knew that a, a true connection had been made? Well, it's just a feeling you get. You can't put it into words. And how did I feel elated? So you felt you felt the sense of his presence with you. Oh yes. But as I've said on previous interviews, I was aware of things like this. I knew. I had a head start. I was friends with people who were involved in this sphere of interest. So I knew who to go to, who to believe in, who to trust, in that way, yes. I imagine that was quite a profound experience for you. I was. It was, um, as I say, an elation, um, but I wasn't scared by it at all, or um, nerved because, unnerved, because I had already met people who, like Andrew, take it, like you, take it as a, a part of daily life. Right. For those of us who are, well, for lack of a better term, gifted in that particular area, it is a matter of course. Exactly. And I know the times that I've experienced my own father around me, it is a... It, even knowing that I could speak to people on, quote, the other side, 
it's a whole different experience when you connect with a loved one. It's it is actually almost indescribable. Mm. Extremely moving. Um, so you just know it's them. Right, and it's so comforting to feel them with you. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's interesting in my role as um, in my day job, as I say, as hairstylist. I speak to many, many, many people over a course of thirty years, and the stories that people tell me, and these aren't quote gifted people, but almost everyone has a story related to knowing that their mother or their father or some loved one was with them at different times. And this is why it's it's kind of unbelievable that more people aren't accepting of the afterlife being real. Exactly. Right. Yep. It, it's, it's rampant that people will say things, oh, I smelled my mother's cologne or um, I knew my father was with me because I could smell his cigars, etc., etc., etc. So, you know, the fact that you speak through Andrew is shouldn't be all that odd because most people do know that their loved ones exist on the other side. Right, no, I think the shock for people like my family will be, well, why is it Andrew? Why isn't it, for example, me? And I've explained that in the pricey. But um, basically, it was all due to his channeling chain, long before I came along. Um, the Francoise poem, which of course, as I've said, Francoise is the French name for Francis, which was my second Christian name. And the fact that um, I nearly knocked him down in my car. And we had eye-to-eye contact. It was not something, as I've said, we were aware of the significance of. But the significances are all too apparent. And then there's little things like, by example, um, Paris. He went there once. He wrote Francoise. And it's his favorite city. And he was talking about this with a friend the other night, actually. And thank goodness he's got a witness to it. He was um, in Paris with a friend, Nicolas, Nico, who is French. And they were in Paris, uh, I can't remember the year. I think it was about 2000... must have been 2005, I want to say. But anyway, they were in Paris, and um, they were by the Pont de Lama, the tunnel. And Andrew crossed over the road because he likes to lay um, a white rose at the tunnel. He won't go to Orthorp. He lays his rose, remembering me, at the Paris tunnel. And he went across the road, and he looked to the right into the tunnel. And he saw an ambulance. And he saw police cars and flashing lights. And he thought, oh my God, oh my God, what am I seeing? Well, anyway, he called Nico to cross the road. Nico looked into the tunnel 
And Andrew said, what do you see? And Nico said, I see an ambulance, police cars, and flashing lights. What's happening? It's daytime, but it looks like nighttime. So that will come out later. But there Andrew has a witness to what he saw. And what he saw was the past. But he actually shared that with someone else. And then, of course, it was broad daylight and very dangerous because the cars were speeding very close to them because by this time, they were really leaning into the tunnel. They were in the center of the... If you go to the tunnel, there's a, a centerpiece in, in the road where you can stand and the cars are whizzing either side of you. They got onto that. By this time, they realized, oh, it's daytime, there's no ambulance, there's no police cars. And the other strange thing is, and this is on record in Paris, that same day, um, it must have been because they walked back, and it was Nico then that said, Andy, there's a French interviewer for Le Monde, the newspaper. Um, and they're doing a, um, an article on Diana, Lady D. And uh, I've told them that my friend um, would love to speak. So Andrew is on record as saying to that newspaper, so they will have it on record, that it wasn't an accident. Hmm. So in the future, a lot has to be uncovered. I said that there was evidence to certain things. Well, now I'm just giving it. And the reason I'm giving it now is because this is the last interview, for a while anyway, but it's to show people that the interviews have been important, that I am not scared to speak out. Well, I'm not scared. Of course I'm not. No harm can come to me. It's been done. But uh, Andrew is also not scared. And I'm going to say it now, and I'm not wishing this, of course not, but if he dies as a martyr, then he has told me recently he would rather die for a worthy cause than die achieving nothing in his life. And that's another reason why Andrew was chosen by me, because I know that Andrew actually doesn't fear death and actually thinks of uh, spirit as home. So he won't be daunted when his time comes to go. So therefore, again, someone who has no emotional ties, someone who is not scared by death, and someone who, like me, will speak out and not be afraid to, as he's doing, as he's done, as the uh, site itself, speaks for anyone who doesn't know it yet, but I'm sure it's not many of you, but he's not frightened, and he won't be. And that's a heads up for anybody who is listening to this, to say he isn't daunted, he isn't frightened. He has work to do, and it's work which he uh, is determined to do. And that's why I chose him. Right, you were saying that, sorry, but I had to get all those things out. No, not a problem. Um Back to where you had said that people who knew you, or people, even your family, might question why you're coming through Andrew and not them, or all of that. Right. Um, first and foremost, while 
certain individuals of your family may sense your presence and know full well that you are with them, you are around them, you are protecting them, you are loving them. Not everyone can channel at this point in humanity's history. Well, I told my brother when I was alive that uh, I would find a way, if I were to die before him, of proving that I was back. So I suggest someone, because I know some people who do know my family, certainly know the royals, look at the site, do tell them about it, and do get Charles, and I mean my brother Charles, to have a look at the site, and there's his proof. Well, and, and exactly, um, and what I started to say is, and even those of us who channel, not all of us are en energetically viable to do what Andrew does, which is, to make it simple for people, is he, in essence, takes your energy on board himself, so that you may speak through his vocal cords. Right. I mean, I speak to you, but it's more telepathically. I do not, even though I've been a channel for 20 years, thoroughly have the ability to assimilate your energy in the same way that Andrew does. No. You wanted to speak to the world one-on-one, -on -one, not with an interpreter, not with a third party. Um, and Andrew has the ability, his spiritual essence is such that he may allow this well, the thing is that because I come through his vocal cords, he doesn't have time to go back to himself, if you like, to check out what I'm going to say. So he can't shut me up. Exactly. So, whereas if I had an interpreter, they might think, mm, I can't really say that, can I? It's a bit dangerous to say that. Or that's a bit risky to uh, mention that at the moment. Andrew has no choice. He has absolutely no choice. He cannot stop me. He might not want to say what comes out, but he's not saying it. I am. And um, that's why I say that, uh, like me, he will speak out because he's pretty uh, outspoken himself about things. But we don't always agree on everything. He's certainly learned a lot about me from what I've told him. He had different ideas about things, which I won't go into now, but that'll come out later when uh, he talks about himself and his experience um, about me, which was very, very small, I have to say. He wasn't an admirer or a fan or he didn't follow me at all. He wasn't interested. Not at all. He's not a royalist, never has been. Um, but uh, <laughs> he's had to be pretty much one now. Oh, not a royalist, but he's had to certainly get to, to become uh, an encyclopedia of me, more or less. But um, there's a lot still he, he will learn gradually. But um, no, it, it's been an adventure and it's an exciting journey. And exactly, Andrew is the perfect vehicle, vessel, whatever you want to call him. For I mean, there have been voice mediums, but the difference is that normally they go into a like trance, where you know, they close their eyes, and there's silence in the room and suddenly the voice will come out and they'll literally go into a trance, eyes closed. Now, most mediums don't want to be taken over to that extent 
whereby they lose sense of self. With Andrew, there's no closed eyes. You will see Andrew, and as you know, we've done it before, Andrew can come through this conversation now, and then it can go straight back to me again. Right, it is a blend. Totally, yes. And to help with that, his experiences of life, <coughs> excuse me, have been pretty similar to mine in many ways, in the emotional spectrum and sphere particularly. And people might say, oh gosh, they're going on the bandwagon again about the emotions and the sadness and the broken love affairs. Well, yes, actually, we are, because emotions are the strongest medium force because they are love. And so we understand each other's pain and each other's upset. Because very like me, actually, all he's ever really wanted is to be happy in a serious relationship of lasting duration. What he's received instead are loved ones betraying him. Ditto, ditto, ditto. I know the feeling, Andrew. <clears throat> and that explains why you are back. I mean, it's it's a, saw, a small, simple explanation, but it is why Diana speaks through Andrew Russell, Andrew Russell Davis. Right. We have an affinity, a natural affinity, yes. And it makes it much easier for me to um, focus myself, sit my energy in him, as opposed to a high-flying executive, <clears throat> like, by example, his cousin. His cousin, Rob, is very gifted. Um, he channels Cheng. That's another story. Maybe one day, they don't talk at the moment, maybe one day, again, <laughs> family problems, just like I had. So one day maybe they'll talk, and then Andrew will explain, and Rob might also, how the energy of Cheng transferred from Andrew by electricity in front of them both to Rob, which was phenomenal. Blue light flashing from his solar plexus straight to Rob's. And Rob now channels Chang. Rob is an extremely successful businessman. Extremely successful because he has Chang. He knows when to make the deals, what time to make the deals, who to make the deals with, and he's in banking. So I don't need to say any more. He's used Chang in a productive way, in a material way. Andrew used Chang in a humanitarian way. So who am I likely to forge with out of the two people who channel Chang? The one who's materialistic or the one who's humanitarian? It's obvious. I have a greater affinity with Andrew. And thank goodness you do. Because now the world is able to hear you and to get the truth of your story and to find out who Diana really was right. beyond the persona. I'm so looking forward to it. And I think you can tell that I'm ready to be off with it now. and uh, Or on with it now, I should say. Um, but just let's go. I'm looking forward to speaking live in America. And if people are thinking, if I'm going to give... Um, 
a heads up if you like. If people are thinking that when I'm there speaking, all I want to talk about is Paris and the scandal and what happened, then please think again. Because there was a lot more to me than one final weekend of my life. And if people just think of my life as being that weekend, then that's very sad. Right, they're not doing you justice at all. None at all, no. Well, Diana, it's definitely been my honor and privilege to have partaken of doing these podcasts with you, and I, from myself, wish to thank you for allowing me that honor. I think we all should, should thank Sarah whose idea it was. Most thank you definitely. so, so much. It was a marvelous idea. It was one I didn't know whether it would take off. There again, I didn't know that a website would take off either. So I've been uh, surprised on both counts, but pleasantly surprised. And it's marvelous that through um, the website, people like Zeramara, uh, Angela, Elizabeth, Grandma Toots, Kenneth, uh, Jamie, Danny, Rainbow Dancer, anybody I've missed, and of course you, Rose, that we've all connected because we are like an extended family. And that's lovely for me, particularly. And um, on that note, i just like to say, please send out a thought for a special member of my family, and that's Harry. That we will do, Diana. All Thank of our you. prayers and energies will be with him. I understand why he's doing what he's doing. I don't agree with it. I think it's very, um, <clears throat> well, quite ridiculous, but, uh, I know he's a headstrong boy, and I know that he'll do his best. Just like his mother. Of course. Well, thank you, Diana. And as you and Andrew go about doing the other ventures and endeavors that it's going to take to make the world cognizant of your being back, um, I wish you Godspeed. Thank you very much, Rose. And thank you, everybody. And the fight is not finished, I have to say. Rose has diligently agreed that she will uh, run the fort whilst Andrew uh, settles elsewhere and then uh, the show will be back on the road again and at this juncture I'm not sure in what uh, way but I'm sure that uh, I will be speaking again on www.dinaspeaks.com so until then take care everybody and thank you so much for all your support and encouragement